are listening to another episode of the Coach's Circle Podcast, brought to you by LifeCoachPath.com. Our goal is to explore all the different ways you can craft your own career in the fields of coaching, wellness, and mental health. Each episode features guests who offer an authentic perspective on their own unique career path and explores ways you might begin to craft your own. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit www.lifecoachpath.com. And now, here's your host, Brandon Baker. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Circle podcast. Today's special guest is Kimberly Mascaro. She is a somatic psychologist, licensed psychotherapist, and the owner of Conscious Chimera, which is based in Nevada City, California. Hey, Kimberly, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Brandon. Absolutely. Um, as listeners of the show know, you know, one of the kind of focuses we, we try to we try to have on the show is presenting, you know, professionals that offer a bit of a unique angle um, in their in their psychotherapy practices or in their coaching practices, and often both uh, combined. And so, you know, Kimberly, I know in, in your practice, you, you definitely take things beyond just traditional talk therapy. So um, I want to go ahead and just get started with some background as to kind of your journey. We, you kind of mentioned a little, a little bit to me before we went on the air. You have a bit of a unique path to, uh, to reaching the point you're at today. Um, and from there, just a bit more background as to the kind of work you're doing um, at Conscious Chimera today. Yeah, thanks. Um, so what uh, I was sharing with you earlier uh, was about how I didn't enter the psychology or even a counseling field straight away. I was uh, an artist. I was an artist in high school. And I, I decided to go get my undergrad in art. And at the same time, though, I was working with children and it was in 1999 that, and I had some background with, with children in a crisis nursery before that, but it was in 1999 that I got hired at a place called Seneca Center, which was, um, I had a few di different sites, but uh, at that time I got hired at the San Leandro site and I was teaching art to kids back then uh, and Seneca Center at that time, I'm not sure currently how the, it's described, but at that time, uh, they would say uh, it was a center to support and offer healing services to children and teens that had emotional um, disability or what they called then SED, severe emotionally disturbed. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really, really uh, amazing experience for me. I fell in love with the position. Uh, I really respect Seneca Center. And I stayed there from 1999 for about five years. I want to say till about 2004, again, teaching art, but I'm having contact with therapists, you know, at, at this, at this place, of course. And I started sitting in on on art therapy sessions with psychotherapists and all, it was really, really, um, it expanded my mind and I became really motivated to do this type of work. So then I entered a uh, master's of science program in counseling psychology soon after um, starting, starting that position. And I stayed there through it and even after graduating for a little while. So I went from being an artist to merging it uh, with healing and therapeutic services 
to then saying, you know what, I want to do therapy full time. So in a nutshell. Right. Yeah, uh, that's that is. Yeah, I think you're right. That is kind of a, a unique background. Um, and it's interesting, you know, having done this show uh, for a while now, it's interesting hearing those backgrounds. So it often very much mirrors the format that you just said, where somebody had a career in it could be an area that they had an interest in um, or just something they did out of more practical purposes. But but what they realized in that past career is that there was one part of it that they really liked the most, which was that human kind of human to human contact. Um, and I mean, we've had guests on the show that have been, you know, personal chefs, uh, private chefs, I should say, and, uh, you know, yoga instructors and, um, you know, a lot of people in human resources and things of that and things like that. And they eventually realize, well, wait a minute, let me just distill this past career into the part of it that I really, really like a lot. And that's when they decide to, you know what, I'm just going to go and make helping other people kind of my my full-time thing. And that can either take the form of therapy or coaching. Um, and so in your case, it definitely sounds like you were exposed to, you know, kind of challenges uh, that, that you know, um, well, in your case, it was kind of the, the, the younger age group. Um, but in a lot of cases, it, it can be also be the older age group, um, you know, that kind of inspires that that need to help others. So yeah, I, I find that interesting always to kind of ask about the background before we get into the work you're doing today. Well, you know, if I could add as well, mm -hmm. the, the art program that I was leading was also including music and dance, you know, and movement. So um, yeah, you know, anyone in any field in the arts can, I think, you know, find reason or motivation or inspiration and then moving into becoming a coach or a therapist. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's very true. Um, and anybody who has listened to uh, some previous episodes where we talk about that background of other guests, I think it I think that shines through um, 100 percent all that diversity in in the backgrounds that uh, that professionals come from. So right. it, it really directs yeah. us where we go in either the coaching or the therapy field because they're so broad. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think that's I think that's very true. Um, I wanted to dive in a little deeper into the work you're doing today. Um, I know, obviously, I mentioned that you take traditional talk therapy a few steps further, and you have some unique angles that, that you take in your work. And I actually wanted to spend the bulk of our conversation today introducing listeners who may not be familiar with these angles that you use in your work. Um, I wanted to introduce them to to some of those. So um, you know, on your website, you talk about, you know, evidence-based therapies like CBT. You know, we have talked about CBT on the show a few times, um, so there's really no need to rehash that. Um, but getting into some more of the unique work that you're doing. So because you mentioned your, um, you know, prior <laughs> history as, as an artist, let's talk about art first. So how do you incorporate your, your love of art into the psychotherapy work that you're doing today? Well, it, it comes in through a couple of different places. And I'm not talking fine art here in which I was trained. You know, I'm, I'm talking using uh, art for therapeutic purposes. So uh, now, for example, when I'm doing um, trauma work, so I have a background uh, healing and working with people with uh, both type one and type two trauma, you know, PTSD, complex trauma. 
And when I'm establishing a sense of safety, before we even dive into uh, some of the deeper trauma work, we use art to create uh, and externalize a safe place for the client. So art comes in in that uh, initial piece for my clients that come to me to heal trauma. And right. uh, it also comes in when I want, well, I was going to talk about how it comes into doing grief and loss work, but that gets uh, into shrine making and dreams even. So I don't know if you'd like to ask me a little more oh, that's, about. That's coming next. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I definitely wanted to take the conversation there um, as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll, I'll continue on. That, that's great. You were already headed in that direction. <laughs> so when... So I also work in grief and loss and I used to have a background in addiction and I don't really uh, work in addiction uh, so much anymore or recovery so much anymore, unless someone's in more of a later stage of recovery, but I would blend all of these worlds together. So now what I find in uh, trauma or grief loss work, there can be elements of someone um, experiencing dreams that may bring with it uh, memories or what some would call visitation dreams, others grief dreams or bereavement dreams, but they bring in this element of a deceased loved one or uh, a deceased person, let's say that might be, you know, connected to the trauma, depending on where we are in the trauma work or and so the, this is very dependent. It's, um, it's not so cut and dry, but also depending how um, healthy and high functioning the person is in grief loss work, for example, I can bring uh, in um, a type of art that merges with that, which is shrine making. And um, yeah, it's, it's funny that we're having this conversation right now because uh, October 13th to 16th, I give a talk through the the um, the DreamWorks Summit through, through the Shift Network on on this particular element, and so what that involves is me blending therapy, sometimes traditional therapies, with uh, art making, which would uh, in the grief loss or visitation dream piece include perhaps shrine if that's comfortable for the client. Again, if uh, clients maybe have a uh, Mediterranean or Latin American background or Roman Catholic or, mm -hmm. you know, any kind of Catholic background, this seems to be a more comfortable place. Although I have done shrine making prompted by dreams uh, as, a, as a way of, um, as a type of dream work with all kinds of clients. So, so, you know, I'm sharing which types that might be more comfortable or familiar but I have found that many types of clients are interested in this process. So that that's one way um, that the, the grief loss work and art and dreaming can come together. But I also do very um, a lot different types of methods of dream work. So that, that's just probably my most unique one. And I love, love, love um, leading workshops in this type of, of, of area. So I've led uh, workshops around visitation dreams and shrine making before. And um, that makes my heart sing. Mm. Yeah, uh, definitely a unique background. And it's clearly worked for you. 
Um, and so, and it's, it's clearly working for your client. So this is what I really love about doing the podcast is, um, you know, methods that a lot of incoming either, you know, uh, I, I should say aspiring therapists or aspiring coaches wouldn't have even thought of to, to incorporate in their work. And they might have a personal interest in those. For example, um, I know dreams especially uh, are a personal interest of a lot of people getting into the field, but maybe they think it it might be a little too off the wall or maybe a little too, um, you know, not, not so common um, that they feel a little bit hesitant to incorporate it into their work. But um, I mean, as, as I think listeners will understand from this conversation, it's, it's clearly working for your clients. And a lot of clients, you know, I think the important thing as well is that different clients react and respond to different approaches um, uh, quite, quite significantly. So there, there might be some clients that just wouldn't care for, for this angle. Um, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, your, your goal as a therapist or as a coach for, for those listening, wanting to get into these fields is not to satisfy everybody with one technique. I mean, uh, that, that's not really supposed to be the goal here. You know, there, there are different types of people that respond differently. And so if this is an interest that you have, and if you believe in it strongly and it's in its healing power, or, um, you know, I think it's, I think it'd be wise to at least try to incorporate it in, into your work as well, the way that you have. Um, so I wanted, yeah, but before I moved on, I wanted to ask you, in addition to the, the shrine making that you mentioned, what other art forms, uh, do you often use with your clients? Cause I know that art, art therapy is kind of a big, big topic and we've had art therapists on the show before, I think one or two. Um, and so I know this is kind of an avenue that is getting more and more popular with those getting into the field. So if you don't mind sharing maybe a few other examples of how you incorporate art into the work you're doing today. Well, I should also say, though, I'm not a registered art therapist, so I'm not doing, uh, you know, standard art therapy. I'm just mm -hmm. bringing in uh, some artsy elements into the practice under the guise of, of psychotherapy. Right. And, and so other ways that it comes in is if uh, we are doing, you know, some type of dream work, I encourage my clients to keep a dream journal and I encourage them to sketch or collage or even paint their dreams to get a deeper understanding. Uh, we can also, you know, make masks or, um, you know, share, they, they can share these things with me or do them as homework in a way and then just tell me about the process. So th those are ways that art can come into to dream work. Now, sometimes the dream work is more exploratory. It's, you know, it's, it's a fun element added to the therapy where, you know, where a person might say, okay, I want to learn how to lucid dream, which I can uh, help people um, bring greater conscious awareness into the dream state. And then maybe it's for creativity or things like that. And then I can bring in uh, hypnotherapy or yoga nidra, which I'm both certified in to enhance those places. Other times, though, you know, we're using dreams as a part of uh, the trauma work. And so that's going to look really different. And, and you know, that, that kind of brings some differences to coaching and, and psychotherapy um, is that I have clients where I feel like I'm, you know, operating in very much a coaching model. 
and others where I'm doing, uh, you know, trauma work with a client. And so that's going to make a difference on how art is used and when that comes in as well. Right. Yeah. So something I was going to mention uh, kind of next in, in my um and my topics that I had lined up is Yoga Nidra. And I know that, you know, some of the guests we've had on the show do incorporate uh, some form of yoga or mindfulness in general into their practice, but we haven't discussed specifically um, Yoga Nidra before on the show. And so you're obviously very familiar with it. And for anybody listening who is unfamiliar with with what Yoga Nidra is all about, can you just give us a background as to what it is and um, maybe some of the unique benefits that it has for clients dealing with trauma uh, or any of the issues that they come to you facing? Sure. Well, Yoga Nidra is a sleep-based meditation. And there's a, a lot that can be said about the philosophy and, you know, where it emerges from. But in kind of the context of our conversation, I'll say that I have found elements of it similar to hypnosis Yet yoga nidra goes beyond hypnosis in that we're going deeper down in attempts to slow the brainwaves down even more and go, you know, hypnosis may stay in the low alpha uh, and theta, but yoga nidra is going even deeper down into theta and uh, with more and more practice delta. In those spaces, we can engage with a higher part of ourselves and the subconscious mind and use that um, profound state of relaxing, very relaxing meditation to make shifts. Now I do bring, uh, you mentioned mindfulness and I do bring mindfulness in as well, but sometimes part of my sessions, if the client asks for it, or I find I should uh, just share that as an offering, if they would benefit, uh, would be to do, you know, a, a shorter yoga nidra experience for half the session because therapy sessions are a 50 minute hour typically. Mm -hmm. And so I may do, I may do a uh, part of the session with the yoga nidra, especially if someone is trying to do uh, healing, healing of the body, uh, calming of the nervous system, you know, if they're feeling really stressed or they want to maybe go deeper down to get a shift. Now in yoga nidra, I'm primarily doing the talking. But if, if maybe we want to take a different angle, then I would use hypnotherapy where, where then the client is also in a relaxed state, but maybe more like low alpha or high theta brainwaves. And then we can still engage through either, uh, you know, verbally talking to each other in that state, or, you know, I can even use the kind of finger tapping for yes and no, if they're feeling too deep to talk. Um, right. So yeah, it, it's going to really, really depend. And and all of this, you know, all of this stuff we're talking about, it kind of can seem like a lot for some, but in many different directions. But it really did or arise organically in that I didn't just dive into all these things at once. This has been over a 20-year, you know, journey for me. And for example, if I could back up a little bit and just say the shrine work started not with dreams. It started because I was seeing lots of children and teens and working with families who were living with addiction and they were uh, living through lots of, you know, deaths. Um, so that's how the shrine piece came. And, you know, then the dream hypnosis came a little, some years after that. And then 
the dream work a little bit after that. And I started to go and then even after that, the yoga nidra. So I started to see like, oh, how are these all related? How do they come together? So for anyone interested in any of these things, I would say, you know, just really like trust the journey and know that things can organically emerge and, and spontaneously arise. So right. to stay open, I'll just call it to the mystery of all exactly. of this. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, this is what I love about, um, you know, just coaching and, and therapy in general is that it's an evolutionary process. You know, people typically think of it as a, as a transformative experience for the client. But really, it's a transformative experience almost even more so for the practitioner because, I mean, you... And like you like you just mentioned, it's been a 20 year journey for you. And I think what a lot of people in that early stage, especially, you know, those that might be listening to the show, what they might fear is that they don't have all those things figured out on day one. And, you know, they they, they get this pressure to niche down, you know, the the riches are in the niches is kind of a, a phrase that that's come up a few times. And, um, you know, people have this fear of kind of being a generalist. And so you have to find your identity within this space. What am I going, who am I going to focus on? What am I going to focus on? How am I going to focus on it? Right. I think these, those three are, are all very, very different questions. And, um, and so I think I'm, I'm grateful that you just mentioned that you didn't have all this stuff figured out on day one. It was, it was kind of a, a, a long journey to see what worked, what didn't work. And um, I think anybody listening who, who also might not have all that figured out that maybe they don't want to admit it, um, I think they would feel comforted knowing that um, even a, a practice that's unique like yours came about uh, organically over time. It wasn't something that you had known on your first day in practice. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Nothing figured out, believe me. <laughs> it, it just uh, organically emerged. And I, I paid attention to who the people I met, I paid attention to who crossed my path and why, you know, and, and so you never, you never know who you're going to run into that can share something that's going to, you know, motivate you to, to go to a different direction or, you know, if I was going to give it any advice, I would say, keep studying, keep, um, you know, coach. If you're a coach, go to, go work with other coaches, go use coaching services. If you're a therapist, work with other therapists, use psychotherapy services, and, and, um, that can, you know, that can just continue to grow ourselves. I'm really into personal development. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I think, uh, I think a lot of people in this field would be, uh, would be wise to also be into personal development. I think it's also a, a way to make sure that you never stop learning. Um, I think, I think most people on the show are kind of like psychology nerds in general, where, um, you know, we're all kind of interested in, um, new developments and how the brain works and, and also trying new techniques that maybe, might have been seen as a little too far off or far out or out there kind of maybe 10 years ago, but now, um, you know, or even techniques that are misunderstood. I mean, I think hypnosis um, is is a good example of that. I think if you ask most people on the street, what do you think of hypnosis? They'll think it's some kind of, you know, new age mumbo jumbo or something, but at least a lot of people would. But I think it might be because they're influenced by like stage hypnosis, which is totally different than what's happening in a in a therapist's office, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, and anyway. so I, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of um, a lot of flexibility that's required when you are in this field to um, be open to to new techniques that maybe you had some preconceived notions for previously. 
Um, right. Yeah. So I know that you also focus a lot on this is kind of my, my last point on the topic of, of niches. So I know that you focus on women's issues um, as kind of a, a central focus of your work. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wanted to ask, is that also something that you came about organically to, or is that something you kind of always knew that that was a particular passion of yours? Well, you know, a little, a little bit of both because in college, in my undergrad, I was taking some women's studies classes and was really interested in, in uh, unique histories of women that were not in textbooks and were not just part of uh, kind of our collective uh, discourse. And so I was interested, but then in, in um, my career, career journey, I'll call it, I, there was a couple different positions that I held, which focused on, on women, women with addiction, young mothers, uh, things like that. And so that's where I guess you could say it came, it kind of came organically was that I eventually said, oh, if I want to narrow it down to a population, what's my most recent and where am I most comfortable and where do I feel I have the most to offer? Mm -hmm. And while I do work with men, I have several male clients. I just kind of fell naturally into seeing women's journeys, women's lives and issues um, to have, you know, to be, to be unique and have a, you know, a unique flavor. So, you know, so to speak. And so it did come about both organically and then through um, my own, you know, direction, because I was interested in, in women's history very deeply. Right. Perfect. Yeah, thank you for I think that was a that was a great kind of background on on how where you came from influenced uh, the practice you have today. So yeah, thank you for taking us through that. Um, I want to ask you one final question, which I feel mm-hmm. is also uh, p- quite pertinent to anybody listening to the show that, um, you know, I think everybody that wants to get into therapy or coaching kind of has a clear understanding of what is the positive side of it. You know, the, the seeing the transformative change, you know, having that aha moment appear right in front of your eyes where the client kind of is able to make that uh, that kind of leap um, in, in their mind that maybe helps them get through whatever they're facing, trauma or, or whatever the case may be. But what's not quite so clear is the opposite of that. What can go wrong or what has been maybe the most challenging aspect of, um, of your work? So can you just share with the audience what has been something that maybe you didn't expect um, and how has it challenged you and also how have you worked to overcome that in your professional life? Wow. Okay. I have to think about that for a minute. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one. I know. <laughs> That's why I <laughs> so, save it for last. <laughs> so I guess things that have thrown me off have not been so much with the clients per se, but it's been, you know, within myself. And what I mean by that is I can often question you know, do, do I have what it takes to help this person? You know, do I, you know, Oh, this, this person came in with a really unique situation. Um, you know, who, who am I to be a helper here? (laughs) Can I be supportive enough? And so those things continue to throw me off even to this day. And how I work with those is to, uh, in a few ways is, um, you know, I'm a meditator uh, so I, I, I use that to really help me. I try to, you know, 
do everything I can to rely on the support of others because uh, I wouldn't be where I am now, you know, without family and lots of supportive friends and even mentors, other therapists that uh, I can turn to, to, to say, Hey, am I seeing this correctly? Mm -hmm. So that, that's something that has, I would say, thrown me off again, not so much from the client place, but from my own uh, inner work that need that, that I may constantly or often wing to, am I seeing this clearly? Do, do I have what it takes to be helpful here? And so relying on social support, having, um, you know, all the, all the, the clinical supervisors and therapists that have helped me and, you know, family and all that, I think can help get us through those, those places. Absolutely. So that, that's what comes up for me most is being, being thrown off within my, myself, mm. um, if that makes sense. Oh, it as does. Yeah, yeah, as opposed yeah. to coming across a really difficult situation. And and I guess I say that because I've, I've, I've worked in some really challenging agencies and facilities, you know, with, um, you know, facing people who are, um, you know, trying to overcome homelessness, poverty, addiction, you know, violence, uh, chronic, um, complex PTSD, things like that. So I would say my, my unique background there has led to how I feel about how I can be a helper. Right. Yeah, I think what you're referring to there, well, a lot of people call it, you know, the imposter syndrome, right, that can, that can come mm -hmm. up in that beginning stage. And actually, um, so I, I've done a lot of interviews with, with therapists and coaches, and it, it turns out, at least in my experience, that coaches really feel that imposter syndrome so much more acutely and um, I mean, therapists do too. I mean, clearly, as, as you've just described, mm -hmm. it's it's something common to both. But I think oh, yeah. I think especially um, especially in coaching for a couple of reasons, which I can only guess are number one, there is no state licensure. I mean, yeah, there's there's licensing. Um, there's not there's there's certification uh, programs that you can complete that help you kind of have that uh, the, the acronym after your name, right? But um, and give you some kind of uh, evidence-based backing to the work you're doing, but it's not state licensed. It's not a quote-unquote official in the same way that a therapist would be. And so I think that might be one possible area. And maybe even more importantly, number two, I think the kinds of issues that therapists face are often, um, you know, like, well, you, you just mentioned people going through trauma, people going through divorce or, or things like that. And so those issues can, while important and while um, quite complex in many cases, um, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of therapists feel that they have a handle on, on the best path forward for how to help their clients combat those. Whereas on, on the coaching side, sometimes the clients are, especially like in executive coaching, they're you know, CEOs and, and people that the coach might perceive as being so much more successful than they are. And so, especially in cases like that, where they're, they're high functioning, there's nothing quote unquote wrong with them. Um, everything's kind of working, um, but they just want to kick things to a higher gear. And so at that point, the coach can feel like, wow, I mean, I'm sitting next to someone that is older than me, has more years in business than me, is more accomplished than me. Who am I to sit here and 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 help him work through his challenge, right? So that that imposter syndrome can creep in, um, you know, uh, for for anybody that's in this capacity of helping others. And 
Um, I, I do like to bring it up on the show because I think it's been clear at this point, hearing all the client stories that are being shared on the show, this is working. I mean, therapy, you know, is is working. Coaching is working. It, it doesn't always work immediately. Um, right. But, but with enough focus, with enough attention, um, and especially building that relationship, that trust between practitioner and client, you know, this, this works. And so you just have to be patient, give yourself the time to get better, um, to learn from your peers, to get that peer support, as you just mentioned as well. Um, and there is light at the end of that tunnel, you know, that that's kind of the message I like to, I like to send. Yeah, I uh, agree. That's yeah. right. Um, and it, it's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you named it flat out imposter syndrome. That's, yeah, that's what it is. And I, I work with clients on that. And I deal with it myself. And I think uh, it's something, uh, especially that that women can find in uh, in early career, because mm -hmm. I do work with a lot of women, young women in, in, you know, early, early stage career development. And that's something that comes up a lot. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. Kimberly, I think this was such a good discussion. I think it's a lot of uh, a lot of relevant topics to anybody that's looking to get into the field in that early stage. So um, thank you so much for your insight. And I, I want to give you a chance to share with our audience where we can find more about you and about the work you're doing. So you can go ahead and tell us uh, your, your website and any, any social media that you're on as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, I can be found at ConsciousChimera.com. And so that's spelled C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S. And Chimera is spelled C-H-I-M-E-R-A. So ConsciousChimera.com, Solutions for Soulful Living. Um, I can be found there online. It's a blog and, and my website in general. And you can find retreats, workshops, and all kinds of good stuff. Perfect. So thank you, Brandon. Yep, perfect. Um, I, I really, really appreciate that. I encourage anybody interested in um, any of the topics that we've talked about to go check out Kimberly's website. Again, that's ConsciousChimera.com. Uh, Kimberly, thank you again, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Brandon. Okay, talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Coaches Circle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our show just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to check out a complete listing of all of the episodes on our show, head on over to lifecoachpath.com slash podcast. See you on the next one.